Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. Sometimes it feels like the United States as a society has made major strides in the ongoing fight for gender equality. And sometimes reality rears its ugly head and you realize, well, the country still has a long way to go. The truth is, women continue to fight every day for equal rights. And it wasn't that long ago that the female portion of the population, which is roughly half of the United States, was prohibited from participating in politics until the 19th Amendment changed that. Passed by Congress on June 4th of 1919 and ratified on August 18th of 1920, the 19th Amendment finally acknowledged women's right to vote in America. For the article this episode is based on, How Stuff Works spoke with Allison K. Lang, Ph.D., Assistant Professor of History at Boston's Wentworth Institute of Technology and author of Picturing Political Power, Images in the Women's Suffrage Movement. She said, The 19th Amendment prevented states from limiting the right to vote based on sex. Women started voting in Wyoming in 1869 and won the vote in other states in later years. They could also often vote in local city elections or school board elections before the 19th Amendment. Even so, the 19th Amendment was revolutionary because it enfranchised more people than any other law in U.S. history. Well before the Civil War broke out, many women were beginning to push back against the idea that their role was confined to managing a husband's home and family. Women were playing leading roles in reform groups, religious movements, and anti-slavery organizations. All of these actions helped redefine what it meant to be a woman in the 1800s in America. But the first real proposal for the idea of women's suffrage as a goal, a suffrage meaning the right to vote, began at the Seneca Falls Convention, which was the first women's right convention in the United States. It was held in July 1848 in Seneca Falls, New York. More than 300 people, both men and women, attended, including slavery abolitionist Frederick Douglass and leading women's right advocate Elizabeth Cady Stanton, one of the meeting organizers. She kicked off the event with a rousing speech. She said, We are assembled to protest against a form of government existing without the consent of the governed, to declare our right to be free as man is free, to be represented in the government which we are taxed to support, to have such disgraceful laws as give man the power to chastise and imprison his wife, to take the wages which she earns, the property which she inherits, and, in the case of separation, the children of her love. The delegates of the convention wrote a Declaration of Sentiments, modeled on the U.S. Declaration of Independence, right down to this line in the preamble. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal. It included a list of 11 resolutions, the ninth encouraging women, quote, to secure themselves their sacred right to the elective franchise, that is, their right to vote. It was by far the most controversial, even prompting many women's rights supporters to pull their support, and it barely passed. But it also became the foundation of the women's suffrage movement going forward. In the years following, women of all ages began writing about, marching for, and practicing civil disobedience, sometimes referring to the Declaration of Sentiments, in an effort to change the Constitution, which originally permitted only land-owning white men aged 21 and older to vote. Lang said, Suffrage was a popular term in the 19th century, and it means the right to vote. Americans discussed male suffrage, female suffrage, black suffrage, etc., Today, people often associate the term with the women's voting rights movement. 
The 19th Amendment was first introduced in Congress in 1878, but it took more than 40 years of organizing, petitioning, picketing, and more to finally get it ratified. Over the decades, different strategies were employed to try to get the amendment passed, and some attempted to get suffrage acts passed in each individual state. The tactic worked to an extent. By 1912, nine Western states had adopted women's suffrage. Other advocates went to court to challenge male-only voting laws, and some suffragists organized and participated in parades, hunger strikes, and silent vigils. Regardless of the type of action these supporters took, these women almost invariably encountered countless forms of verbal and even physical abuse. By 1916, almost all the major suffrage organizations formed a united front to pass a constitutional amendment. New York officially adopted women's suffrage in 1917, and a year later, President Woodrow Wilson changed his original position on the matter and declared support for the amendment. Finally, on May 21st of 1919, the House of Representatives passed the amendment, and the Senate followed two weeks later. In 1920, Tennessee became the 36th state to ratify the amendment, and with three-fourths of the states in agreement, the U.S. was finally able to officially adopt the new policy. The 19th Amendment states, The rights of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. But as impactful as the 19th Amendment was, it didn't end the struggle. Lang said, It's important to keep in mind that the 19th Amendment did not grant all women the right to vote. Many poorer women and women of color were still subject to poll taxes, literacy tests, and other restrictive laws. American women gained greater access to the polls through other laws like the Indian Citizenship Act of 1924, the repeal of the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1943, and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Puerto Rico granted women the vote in 1929. So the 19th Amendment opened up opportunities, but many women still had to fight for the vote. Today's episode is based on the article, The Battle for the 19th Amendment and Women's Right to Vote, on HowStuffWorks.com, written by Michelle Konstantinovsky. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with HowStuffWorks.com and is produced by Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 